Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Dismantling Injustice, powered by Envision Freedom Fund. So one of the most vivid memories of the holidays that I have growing up is sitting around the dinner table at Thanksgiving or Christmas, watching the adults drink a couple of glasses of wine or spiked eggnog, and then launch into hours and hours of heated conversations about politics. Usually the argument was between my grandfather and my dad, but once in a while, others jumped in. So for many of us, we are now those exact adults that we swore we'd never become, who will have to endure listening to our loved ones make comments over mashed potatoes about rising crime in New York or quote unquote, those people needing to be locked up. And part of you is like, I'm out of here. It's not worth it. We've been having this debate since I was 10 and there's no way to change their mind. But the other part of you wants to speak up. Well, if you choose to stay and intervene, my colleague, Julie Menti, Envision Freedom's communications manager, is here to help. Drawn from public opinion research that we commissioned earlier this year, we've created a list of tips for talking to your family and friends about bail reform, a topic that, you know, as you imagine, is highly politicized um, but also riddled with misinformation these days. Now, our ultimate aim here is to give you the tools to meet um, your loved ones where they're at and to bring them along. They may never agree with us 100%, but at least we can offer them an alternative and hopefully convince some of them to join our movement. So welcome to the podcast, Julie. Thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. Um, so just to set the table, can you refresh our memory on the bail reform debate in New York State? Now, I know we've talked about it a lot on this podcast. Yeah. So so I think first, it's important to remember why bail reform was enacted in the first place um, before we get into when it passed, what it did, and what's happened since. So for, for decades, really, people have been have been fighting against the injustice of the bail system and um, people being jailed pre-trial. And, you know, we gained a lot of momentum, um, you know, in 2019 with sort of a, a recognized understanding of how harmful these systems are to individuals, to families, to communities. Um, you know, we were supported by host of research and data that backed up what we were hearing from people on an individual basis of, you know, how destabilizing pretrial detention is, you know, even a short time in jail can cause people to lose their jobs, lose custody of their children, lose access to housing, lose access to important health care. And, you know, we also were seeing that it exacerbates, you know, the racism that's already present in the system. So, you know, we're seeing majority of people who are black and brown being the ones who are subjected to bail and pretrial detention. So, you know, sort of all of these things coming together and really powerful advocacy movement to get New York to end money bail and pretrial detention. Um, what ultimately passed in 2019 um, was a reform. So it wasn't an elimination of money bail, it wasn't an elimination of pretrial detention, but um, they were reforms that would limit 
the number of people who could be jailed pretrial on bail um, if they were charged with what was classified as violations, misdemeanors, and some nonviolent felonies. Um, and among other things, it also required judges to consider whether people could afford to pay bail before setting it. Um, so, so those were sort of the big, the big ticket items of, of the reform that passed in 2019. Um, it went into effect the beginning of January 2020. Um, and, you know, right away we saw significant decreases in the number of people who were being jailed pretrial leading into the pandemic that probably saved um, saved some lives and was really an important piece of, of legislation that, that passed. But also at the same time, we were seeing a lot of, a lot of pushback immediately. Um, and uh, only four months into the law being in effect, then Governor Cuomo rolled it back making it possible for, for people charged with um, some of the, the offenses that had been previously excluded, they could now um, have bail set. And the reforms were rolled back again just this year by Governor Hochul, so for the same thing. So, you know, what we've been seeing is that these rollbacks happened, you know, in response to a really volatile political climate and a media climate that is really focused on, you know, playing into people's fears for, for clicks, for, for elections. And, you know, we've just really have seen a big shift in the way people are, are thinking about and talking about bail. Dismantling Injustice is brought to you by Envision Freedom Fund. Envision Freedom is a New York-based nonprofit organization that works to dismantle the unjust and oppressive immigration and criminal legal systems while meeting the critical and most urgent needs of individuals impacted by these systemic injustices in the present. You can learn more about our work by visiting us online at envisionfreedom.org or by following us on social media. So this year, we at Envision Freedom Fund actually looked into this question around public perception of bail reform because we've seen so much fear mongering. Can you talk about the study that we conducted earlier this year? Yeah, so um, we did some public opinion research. We wanted to better understand what people were thinking about crime, violence, safety, bail, pretrial detention. And, and also get some insight into what, what was persuasive to them, um, you know, what would make them reconsider what they were thinking. Um, and, you know, we had a chance to kind of test out different, different messages. And, and we learned a lot that I think is, is going to be really helpful going forward of just sort of us taking a different approach to how, how we talk to people on an individual basis, you know, and how as a, as a movement, we can, we can better reach people. Um, and again, you know, sort of bring people around this, this idea, this understanding that bail and pretrial detention are, are really harmful and actually antithetical to, to community safety. So clearly we know arguing doesn't work. Um, so what are some effective approaches to talking about bail reforms, say on Christmas morning or after the spiked eggnog has kicked in? <laughs> 
Well, I don't know if all of these are an antidote to spiked eggnog, but I think they can get conversations started. So we've we put together this document, which is, is on our website, and we'll put it in, in the show notes, just of, of seven tips that can help people have more productive conversations. So, so the first thing to do is, is to ask questions and, and get curious. So you don't want to make assumptions about why your aunt feels a certain type of way or why your dad thinks what he thinks. You really want to get into the root of, of people's beliefs. And so you have to ask, you have to ask, where are you hearing this? What, what kind of experience have you had that's making you feel this way? Can you say more about that? Like all of those things are going to lead to a much more productive conversation where you're going to learn more. And the person you're talking to is going to feel heard. That totally makes sense. Like people like sharing their opinions um, just more broadly speaking, but also, you know, I know just like as an attorney, um, the first thing that we learn is to ask more questions than mm -hmm. do less talking and to actually listen. So uh, what else, what else can we do? Yeah. So, you know, in addition to, you want the person to feel heard and, and really what's at the root of some of these, these conversations are, are things that we all want. We all want to have, and that's safety. We may be worlds apart on what we think about bail, but everybody is reacting to, to this from a place of, of wanting to live somewhere where you feel safe. And, you know, you have, you have to acknowledge that. And when you, you know, when you dismiss that, or you don't talk about that, or you don't ground the conversation in that, it's much more likely to go off the rails. Yeah. And so, okay. So, you know, talking about values um, and the values that we can all align around working in the social justice movement, you know, there's a certain vernacular that we tend to use. Like we use words like the carceral state and abolition. Um, and, you know, we have a language in the social justice movement, but how much should we explain that language or how should, should we get into that or? Yeah, yeah. I'm constantly checking myself on this too. And it really, you have to just speak as clearly and plainly as you can. And, you know, when you say carceral state, that's not going to mean a lot to people. I don't even always know what that means. It's better to just say what you mean. Do you mean policing, prosecution, jail, prison, be as, as clear and simple as possible. Avoid jargon and buzzwords and just, and just talk. In the headlines each day, there's some, there's negative press around bail reform. And there's just a, a lot of like false information out there. Um, how should we handle that? Yeah, you know, as much as you we want people to to listen, to feel heard, we don't want people we don't we're not, we don't want to let people get away with not being challenged. When you do hear something, it's okay to challenge it. There's a lot of common assumptions that that people make, especially when they don't have direct personal experience with with the system or, you know, when their understanding of the criminal legal system comes from law and order. So it's it's okay to 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 challenge those 
assumptions that people have. It's okay to challenge the misinformation, you know, and, and again, you know, ask questions. Where are you hearing this? Where does this coming from? Um, and it'll really inform your response. You know, like, well, I saw in Law and Order that this is happening. And it's like, well, you know, you can say I've, this sort of brings us into, into the next one of, of show, don't tell. You know, when I was a court watcher, this is what I saw happen in arraignments, which is very different from what happens on Law and Order. So it's, it's okay to, to challenge people and to, to learn from, from those moments. You want to ground things in, in personal experience, um, personal understanding. And, and that's really important too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so getting at showing, don't telling, you know, one of the most surprising things that I learned from the, this public opinion research project was that talking about data, talking about numbers was largely ineffective. Numbers are on our side, which they are. People didn't believe them. They were highly skeptical and they believe, and to an extent they're right, that numbers can be twisted. How do we get around that? You started talking about show, don't tell. Can you elaborate? Yeah. So, you know, talking about your your own experience with something, you know, we start somewhere. Most of us weren't born abolitionists. Uh, I certainly wasn't. I don't know about you. Think about what was persuasive to you, what your journey was to get to this place and, and share that and share you know, things that you have experienced and learned. Um, if, if you have been directly impacted by the system and feel comfortable sharing your experience, then, then you, should, you should do that. That is the kind of thing that makes it very hard for people to disagree with. It might not convince them right away, but it's definitely going to give them something to think about. And I know for me, you know, when I've gone home to to visit my family and you know have been talking about court watch for the past four years like that has really impacted their understanding both of, of what I do and why I do it but also you know we've had just a lot more conversations about it you know I haven't fully convinced everybody yet but um they're a lot more open to the experience because because I've shared my own experience with them Yeah. And I think one thing that I'm hearing from you, which I think is really important, is that we have to remember that at one point in time, we very likely shared their views. We all didn't wake up with a sophisticated analysis of systemic injustice um, or the harms of the criminal legal system. It's something that we learned over time. Um, You know, I know like I also was not born an abolitionist. Um, It was definitely a journey to get there. And honestly, like many people, I find myself still evolving and challenging my own beliefs. Um, And so part of meeting people where they're at is, uh, you know, just that, that recognition that you weren't always there yourself. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, conversations like this can also like be really clarifying for you of a way to, to talk about what you learned and reflect on it and reinforce what, what you think. So there's, there's a lot of benefits to having conversations like this, even when they're challenging. All right. And so this is when we get to the hard question. Well, you're not offering an alternative. What are the other solutions to the problem? You know, how do we address violence? How do we address um, you know, harm that may happen. 
Um, yeah. what, what, like, how do we address that question? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that other solutions are already being used and are already working. So, you know, you can definitely mention those. You could even, if you can't think of one, you could look for one together. And, and in our in our tip sheet, we do give an example of this one program here in Brooklyn called Save Our Streets, which deploys outreach workers who are trained in conflict resolution that um, has had a great impact on the community in terms of um, seeing a, a bigger drop in, in gun violence in that neighborhood compared to other neighborhoods that have relied on the police for responding to those situations. There are a lot of other examples like that, and they should be easier to find. And that's part of what we're going to be doing in Vision Freedom of making sure that we are making these solutions easier for people to find, um, to learn about, and to, to get excited about what else is possible. We've been doing this jailing thing for so long that it's almost hard to believe that there are other things that are possible and there are, and you know, what we're doing isn't working and it's long past time to, to look at something else. It's not just about responding to something when it happens. It's about preventing these situations from occurring to begin with and to think about all the different things that we could be doing that would contribute to prevention. Yeah, I really appreciate that response. I was having a conversation with um, someone a few weeks ago, and I think that oftentimes we don't point to the examples of what else works aside from policing and incarceration. And so it limits the imagination of those they were trying to convince. If we tell them incarceration doesn't work, policing doesn't work without presenting an alternative or even allowing the space for them to imagine an alternative, then in many ways we're reinforcing their beliefs. Um, and, um, you know, not to go on a tangent here, but <laughs> oftentimes, you know, I know that we talk a lot about, you know, divesting from the criminal legal system as we know it and investing in housing and healthcare and employment and education and so forth. And all of those things are absolutely needed. But when, when we, and this is the conversation I had with, some, with someone, and they said to me, when you present people with those ideas, they appreciate them, but all of those systems that you named are also broken systems. And so there is a need to get more specific and to uplift examples and without speaking in broad terms about solutions that rely on systems that are also broken and unreliable and harmful at times. Yeah. And, and I think another thing that's important to remember here is that, you know, when you're having this conversation, like you don't have to know the answer. You can, you can have an example. An example is helpful, but it's also an invitation, like you said, like to have to have this conversation, like together to imagine, okay, if we didn't have this, what could we do? What, what are the results that we're looking for? What's the impact that we want to have? What are things we could do to get that? Um, so, so it becomes participatory, it becomes collaborative because that's what that's what it's going to take to to do this too absolutely all right so any final tips yeah just the last thing is that this takes time you're probably not going to change somebody's mind in in one conversation 
but you will have planted a seed. You could continue the conversation. You can, you know, share other information with people afterwards. One conversation is is just the beginning. Mostly I just want people to not feel discouraged if, you know, they they don't get a yes, I agree with you at the at the end of the conversation. Um, you know, it's just the beginning. And and you never know if there are other people, you know, listening in on the conversation too, like then you've planted seeds with with more than one person. So it's a process and it takes time and you just have to keep keep at it. As individuals and as an organization, this is something we're we're in to do in the long term. Well, here, here to that, Julie. One thing I'd add, um, and this, you know, relates to what you're saying is that even if you have a chance to talk to someone and they're not fully on board with you at the end of a conversation, people remember how you made them feel. And so if you have this conversation and someone feels heard, they feel as though you listened, they're more likely to listen to you and to remember what you said. Yeah. And I, you know, I think this is sort of at the core of what abolition is, is about building relationships, building community. And, you know, part of, part of that is, is listening and exchange and being heard and, and taking the time to listen. And that's the core of, of what we do. Why don't we end it on that incredibly inspiring note? Thank you so much for joining us. For listeners, we've been trying to get Julie to join the podcast for quite a while. And she said yes, so I'm doing a little victory lap here. Um, if you'd like to, to read or distribute um, the seven tips that we mentioned, you can um, find them in the show notes. You can also find them on our website at envisionfreedom.org. Until next time, we're out. Thanks again for joining us. Dismantling Injustice is brought to you by Envision Freedom Fund, an organization that works to transform the immigration and criminal legal systems while meeting the critical needs of individuals impacted by these systems daily. To learn more about our work and donate, visit us at envisionfreedom.org. That's envisionfreedom.org. Dismantling Injustice was created by Sally Israel. Our executive producer is Abigail Wolf. This podcast is produced and engineered by Yassi Solutions and hosted by Carl Hammett Lipscomb. That's me. Special thanks to the team at Envision Freedom for being amazing. Until we're all free, peace out.